0: You are listening to the Fretzelmania podcast on Anchor.fm. Welcome everybody to the 40th edition of the Fretzelmania Podcast. I am Mr. Fretz. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the legendary JF. You can find this podcast, F R-E-T-Z-O-E-Mania, on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and many other places that podcasts can be heard. Today I'm pulling off a pay-per-view review from my old Fretzelmania blog. And talking about a pay-per-view that happened almost 21 years ago, it is almost old enough to drink in the states. Uh, my, I'm sorry, America, but by that point, I would have been drinking legally for two years, three if I was born in Quebec. Oh boy! And yes, this pay-per-view is. WWE's Judgment Day 1998. Now, this is not quite a 20-bell um, salute pay-per-view, but because, of course, I am reviewing 1999 for that right now. Uh, sometime later this month, I will have uh, Unforgiven 1999 and many other things from that same month. In that twenty bell salute, Uh, it'll hopefully be within the next week or two. Just depends on work and whatnot. And also next weekend, my brother's getting married, so there's so there's that as well. (laughs) Anywho, let's take you back to October 1998, Wayne's World style. Ants and American History X are ruling the box office. The Yankees <sighs> won the World Series. Damn Yankees. Uh, one week by the bare naked ladies was topping the charts. And yours truly started high school. WWE was white hot. WCW was still hot, but it was trailing a little bit and was a few months away from the finger poke of doom. Oh boy. Now this was the first WWE pay-per-view that I remember watching like the day or so after it happened. You see, in the past, I had relied on my cousin's recollection of him watching this in a bar, or I would rent these from uh, Blockbuster months after, or, you know, find them at at uh, Zeller's, you know... Um, and now defunct chain that is basically uh, Canada's answer to Target, or Kmart. And yes, we actually also had Kmart's. So enter an awkward, pimple-faced, 35-year-old, I mean 14-year-old me, and my brother's friends. You see, I've mentioned this in the past, but my some of these friends had these little satellite cards that allowed you to kind of steal, not really, actually, yes, steal pay-per-view and premium movie channels every month. So I managed to scrounge up what little money I had delivering newspapers and gave these friends just like a bulk case of blank tapes. Like, here, fill this up with WWE for me, please. I imagine this is kind of the precursor to downloaded, uh, downloading BitTorrent, and, you know, Napster was still about a year away, but... Man, imagine downloading a WWE pay-per-view, which is probably about, what, one to five gigs on a 56K modem? No one would be able to call my house for about three weeks. Now, the build-up to this pay-per-view focused on Stone Cold Steve Austin's controversial title loss at Breakdown the previous month due to a double pin by The Undertaker and Kane. Um, Vince left with the title in tow, and declared it vacant, much to the Rattlesnake's chagrin. And much to his chagrin again, Austin must now referee a match between the Brothers of Destruction for the WWE title. Bearing in mind that there must be a winner, and if Austin doesn't call it right down the middle, he's fired! Excuse me. So here's how the show went down. And no, I'm not covering Sunday Night Heat because that wasn't on my blog, silly. So from the historic Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, Illinois, it's Judgment Day. Jerry Lynn. Opening this pay per view is Al Snow with head versus marvelous Mark Marrow with women's champion Jacqueline. And I like to scope out uh, signs, notable ones, during uh, during these events. And the Attitude Era was full of strange, funny, and downright offensive signs. Uh, this one, it said, uh, Clinton loves head. My fellow Americans, I did not have sexual relations with that mannequin head. It depends... what your definition of is is ah this was right in the heat of the monica Lewinsky scandal do you feel old yet because i do so al snow for most of 1998 had been lobbying for a job since his uh return earlier in the year and his stint in ecw and his previous gimmicks of avatar shinobi and new rocker Leaf Cassidy were massive flops and often the butt of a McFoley joke in, in any of his books. And it was in ECW that Al Snow finally found his niche. A schizophrenic bipolar who talks to a mannequin head. And of course, earlier in 98, Al Snow lost a match to Too Much, you know, the late Brian Christopher and Scotty Too Hot Taylor at King of the Ring when Head was pinned on the mat with a bottle of Head & Shoulders shampoo. Hilarious. And after weeks of random appearances, interferences, and whatnot, Al Snow got a chance for a contract. This time, he was oddly booked in a boot camp match against then-WWE Commissioner Sergeant Slaughter, which Al Snow won and won his contract. And as Mark Marrow's awesome awesome heel theme plays which i'm going to close out the show with because i opened with stone cold because why not snow begins a nonsensical promo asking the question that his theme already asked what does everybody need what does everybody want what does everybody love fellatio i mean head you were thinking that everyone was thinking that so Marrow had been cascading down the card since Sable was getting all the attention and the booking, and I can think of two reasons why uh, that was the case, and they were her tits. Enter his new manager, Jacqueline, a former WCW and USWA wrestler who is tougher than most of the men on the roster and often wrestle them. She was just off of a stint in WCW where I believe she was managing, uh, she might have been managing Harlem Heat. I didn't look into this and I'm not going to do it right now. And she was, of course, the women's champion uh, because the uh, the title and division had recently made, uh, made a return since uh, Alondra Blaze threw the original WWE women's title in the bin on Nitro, which, of course, blacklisted her for years and years and years, until recently when she was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, because Alondra Blaze, Medusa, whatever you want to call her, is a legend and an icon and a pioneer in women's wrestling. Fun fact here that Jacqueline actually had a lock of Sable's hair Weaved into her ponytail after, you know, a little fight and feud on Raw. They, they've been fighting and feuding since, I don't know, King of the Ring, WrestleMania? How long, however long uh, Jacqueline's been in the company. And as the match begins, Jeff Jarrett's music hits and demands to be injected into this match. You know, to get revenge on Alice Snow, because on Sunday Night Heat earlier in the night... Al cost Jeff Jarrett a match against follow-job squad member Two Cold Scorpio, FKA Flash Funk. Lawler is always on form during this time, whether he's saying something incredibly funny, sexist, or downright offensive, like the entire Attitude Era itself was. And he says something about Snow here. I bet he writes his own fan mail! Ha <laughs> ha! Oh boy! So Jeff distracts Snow long enough for Mark Marrow to uh, Pearl Harbor him. He tries to talk to Head, but since you know he's not psychic type, I mean, no, Mark Marrow tries to talk to Head, but since he's not a psychic type, it wasn't very effective. Snow hits a stiff DDT and an impressive moonsault for a two count. In which, if this was an Avatar match, I believe that moonsault would have been a finish, maybe even as um, Leaf Cassidy. But we never saw his, we never saw him win on TV, so we don't know what the New Rockers finish even was. And Jackie distracts Snow. Mara returns the favor with the same two moves: a DDT and a moonsault. Lawler hilarious, hilariously calls. Mark Merrow's knee lift spot a second too early before he even hits it. Marrow hits another Marrow salt, this time to a standing Al Snow, which was kind of a uh setup move to the Wild Thing back in uh the Wild Man's day. Marrow tries for the TKO, but Snow gets out of it. He then tries to hit his former finisher, the Wild Thing now known as the Marvelocity, a shooting start press. But Snow moves out of the way. Snow hits a snowplow, which is a Northern Lights brainbuster for the win. This was a decent to okay opener that popped the crowd because Al Snow was fairly over at this point in time. He was, uh, I mean, he wasn't getting up the card. He wasn't main eventing WrestleMania, but he was a great opening match guy. He was a hardcore title guy. And Marrow. You know who is a little clunky, still good in spots. He could he could still go in the ring. He could put him in the ring with anybody, and he'll be at least reliable and maybe carry the um uh, the rookies under his wing. And it was clear that he wasn't long for the WWE because this, of course, was. Shifting the focus on Sable, you know the, the crowd was chanting for Sable despite the fact that she wasn't even in this match. I don't think she was even on this show. I don't remember. I'm going to have to go through through the rest of it here. Coming up next, oh, oh. the Disciples of Apocalypse, Eight Ball and Skull, the Harris Twins, the Grimm Twins, the. Ah, uh, the hairy berserker twins. Who who were they? Jacob and Eli Blue versus Lod two thousand and draws. Lod two thousand flushes. Now that's what was happening to Animal and Hawk's career at this point in time. Unfortunately, they're my all time favorite tag team. Right, and this oh, this pained me. This this hurt me. This hurt me greatly. Oh boy. So, Paul Ellering, remember when he turned his back on the LOD and managed DOA? Yeah, I forgot that, too. But, man, he is ripped. So, the hometown LOD get a good but subdued pop when they realize that Draws was there, too. Like, no offense to Draws. I mean, he was a reliable hand. He was a great—I re- thought he was great on the ring. I thought he was good— he had a cool character, you know, later on. And then Hawk... And this is going to be rough. He was in the midst of a very distasteful work-shoot substance abuse angle. And Draws was inserted into the LOD as, uh, as an alternate. So there was literally nothing memorable in this match. It was just clunky and terrible. But... Uh, Animal and Hawk hit the hit the Doomsday device, but then Draws Cam came in to steal the pin to create dissension, smellness. And they just don't look like themselves. I mean, Hawk had a full head of hair. It just seems so out of place. And, you know, I met uh, Animal earlier this year at Niagara Falls Comic Con, and he looked, he looked great. You know, he had the Mohawk. He had I know, he was wearing a, a new MAGA t-shirt and he had the spikes sitting there on the table and he's like, wanna well, wear the spikes, kid. And, you know, like 10-year-old me watching the LOD versus the nasty boys is like, yes. Yeah, yes, I do. Uh I don't, I may have fan out a little bit right there. That was cool. And Animal, like, such a solid guy, a very kind man. Uh, I talked to him about his his son, uh James Laronidas, who recently had a a football career and he stepped down, he retired. And I think he's a analyst on like a Sirius XM channel. So that big shout to him there. Awesome. Coming up next. Oh, here we go. The light heavyweight championship. Remember that title? Yeah. Um, this was not prominently featured so much on TV as of late. Except if you, if you've been watching, um, Shotgun Saturday Night or Sunday Night Heat, you wouldn't see the light heavyweight title. So Taka Michinoku versus, with Yamaguchi-san defending the title against a debuting Christian with Gangrel. And in his debut match, Christian gets a shot at this title. Taka, the inaugural light heavyweight champion, at least on this side of the pond, because you know in the past, the light heavyweight title... Was defended in Japan and Mexico, and if you look at this title's history, there's a few interesting ex-champions like Pegasus Kid, aka the late Chris Benoit, uh, Ultimo Dragon. Fun fact: that title was one of like ten titles that Ultimo Dragon used to come out on, come out with on Nitro. Uh, I think Eddie Guerrero um, when he was the ta- one of the Tiger Mask. Was he? Was he one of those? Yeah, I think he's an ex-champion, Piero Agüero Jr. Look at this! Look at the actual history of the light heavyweight championship. It's fascinating. And Taka lost his momentum ever since turning heel and joining his enemy Kain Tai. But the man can still go, and he's actually still active today. I believe I saw him at Wrestle Kingdom this past year or the year before. He's awesome. You know, Taka hits a whole plethora of high-flying moves, including his trademark Asai Moonsault, Ultimo Dragon get the lawyers. Uh, Christian tries a few high spots of his own. Eventually, when Taka goes for the Michinoku driver, it is reversed into a pin, and Christian wins the light heavyweight title from his debut. And, you know, Brother Edge is watching from the crowd, Birdman great match great chemistry i thought this was this was kind of underrated you know these two kind of at the time they were kind of flying under the radar and you know taka was in the fed for about a couple more years of course he was right before his hilarious slash probably now offensive uh dubbed japanese karate uh indeed gimmick that uh, it always got a pop out of me so we are gonna take a quick commercial breaks from Podcoin. And yes, folks, you can listen to my podcast on Podcoin. And I'm gonna stop plugging it right now because I'm gonna plug it in this ad next. What's up, peeps? I hope you've been enjoying the Fretzelmania podcast, but did you know that you can get paid for listening to this? Crazy, right? I had just discovered this free new app called PodCoin that literally pays you to listen to your favorite podcasts. You just, you listen, and you earn coin while you listen, like little currency. And you can turn that PodCoin into gift cards for Amazon or Starbucks, or hey, me being a Canadian, I think it's time that Tim Hortons gets in on this. So you download the free app on iPhone or Android, and you use my code FRET7W6, that's F-R-E-T-Z-7, lowercase w6, and you get 300 bonus coins just for signing up. And if you listen to enough of me and your other favorite podcasts, you'll earn your gift cards. So this will change the way you listen to podcasts, so... Hit me up on Twitter at TheLegendaryJF and listen on PodCoin. Thank you. And coming up next is Val Venus versus question mark. It's called Dust. Dustin Reynolds had previously been doing the uh, Preachy Born Again Christian gimmick. Parading signs around ringside. Saying he is coming back, heavily implying on the return of Jesus Christ. He was cutting promos against the raunchy, violent, and unfit for family viewing uh, content on TV and even praying in the ring on our behalf before bikini contests. His promos were sponsored by Evangelist Against Television, Movies, and Entertainment, an acronym for Eat Me hilarious. Of course, it is a thinly-veiled parody of the Parents Television Council, although we wouldn't see the embodiment of that until the Right to Censor debuted some two years later. Now, After Val had aired his newest uh, adult film entitled The Preacher's Wife that had Dustin's wife, Terry, involved, his promos of He Is Coming Back became to be more prevalent and obvious. And it didn't take a rocket science or even a theologian or a pastor to see that he wasn't talking about Jesus, but indeed he was talking about gold <sighs> dust. <sighs> you know, the very gimmick that, put, that Dustin put in the trash and set on fire Earlier that year. And I guess he kept a couple of his suits. Unless he had the tailor be like. Hey here's a tenor. Make me a new one please. And of course you know. Get in the ring and Val Venus grabs the mic. You know hello ladies. And he's interrupted by. Hello Val. It's showtime. And we hear Goldust's classic theme. To a pretty loud pop. And, you know, his antics throughout sustained the crowd. Goldust. Goldust was over. The match itself was just really nothing special. It actually didn't get going. Uh, Terry tries to distract Goldust, but he rubs himself and wiggles his junk at her. Kind of saying like, hey, you missed this, baby. And while the ref tries to deal with Terry, Val gets hit with a low blow for the win. A fun comeback for Gold Dust for a nice pop. Backstage, we see Triple H mouthing off to Ken Shamrock and he deservedly gets his ass kicked. He gets his already injured leg slammed into a car door. Dude, don't chirp the world's most dangerous man. I mean, back then, you weren't you were you were you still had the blue blood stink on you and you're sitting there mouthing off to an ultimate fighter okay bud nice try you degenerate game idiot yeah i don't like triple h that much folks even as is nxt's dad i'm like eh, okay cool whatever so the european championship oh here we go D'Lo Brown with Mark Henry versus X-Pac with China. Yet another chapter in the thick book of the 1998's DX vs. The Nation storyline. Or, What's Left of the Nation. D'Lo, now a two-time European champion, won the title back on Raw the previous week. And like his previous title reign... He is being announced from being from different European cities, this time ditching his hometown of Chicago from Milan, Italy. And D'Lo is still using his chest protector from a long-since-healed injury in uh, uh, early in the summer. Now, D'Lo and X-Pac, now these are two guys. You can just put them in the ring and throw them on TV in a match, and they'll put on a Tremendous contest, you know. There's a plethora of high spots, trash talk, and high flying. You know, we see a bronco buster is th- is uh, thwarted by D'Lo with a kick, right in the nuts, and Mike Kiota fails to disqualify the champion. Uh, I'll roast him for the European title. <laughs> you know, D'Lo gets all of the crowd he- heat. He is just playing a great, awesome, big heel here. You know, Mark Henry is just, I think, at the genesis of his uh, sexual chocolate gimmick. Because, you know, he tries to hit on China, but she has none of it. Uh, there's a ref. Yeah, this was just before a ref bump. Uh, D'Lo grabs the title, hits x with it. And it's a long ref spot, and x kicks out. Crowd pop. And an amazing counter. Uh, X-Pac reverses a top rope nothing by D-Lo, right into the X-Factor and himself becomes a two-time European champion. And this, I think, was easily the best match of the night because in any contest, they bring out the best in each other. And now the complete opposite of that, the tag team championship between the New Age Outlaws defending against the Headbangers. Oh, my Lanta this sucked. It sucked as bad as the Headbanger's recent heel turn. But, it gave the New Age Outlaws some new challengers that weren't members of the nation, or Mankind and Kane, or whatever. So, they didn't get any actual heat, but Anyone going up against the New Age Outlaws is going to be booed, anyways. Uh, they interrupt the Road Dog's intro and just attack. They put on a holy cow, a fourteen-minute match that is not worth your time. Fast forward this one. The Outlaws get DQ'd when uh, Road Dog hits Thrasher with the boombox. We can't listen to our Marilyn Manson CDs backwards anymore. What, are you looking for subliminal messages? Dude, blue, blue Oyster Cult. Everyone knows that. Okay, the Intercontinental Championship match with Ken Shamrock defending his duly won title against mankind. Foley had a line here that uh, made me look up from my notes and shout, what the fuck? He's like, Shamrock's Interviews may be the second leading cause of teenage suicide. Dude! (laughs) That is dark, even for the Attitude Era. Now, Charisma Ken, as uh, Stuart Brooks of the New Generation Project podcast, dubs him. Stu, I miss your podcast, brother. I hope you're doing well. Although you probably won't hear this, you are an inspiration, uh to me. You're one of many inspirations to me and my podcasting. I hope you're well, brother. Bless. So, yeah, Ken was not the most expressive on the mic as well, but that line by Foley was, yeah, that was too far. That that was, that was, ugh. So, Shamrock is fresh off of a heel turn, and winning the IC title in a tournament that was vacated by Triple H after being injured in the latter match in which he won the Intercontinental title in. Now Mankind coincidentally turned Babyface not long before this and Foley was trying really hard to be Vince's friend and his adopted son, even visiting him evening visiting McMahon in the hospital after, you know, McMahon was Jumped and beat up by Taker and Kane and had his leg crushed by the steps. You know, Europe with a clown and, you know, the bedpan was stone cold. And this was the place we saw the birthplace of Mr. Sacco. It was intended to be a one-time joke, but it got so over it could not be ignored. Oh, I love it when wrestlers come up with accidental things that go over. You know, kind of reminds me of the little bit of the bubbly with jericho right now or the list or you idiot stupid idiot just little niches that's all we need for characters is little niches so mankind tried to apply the mandible claw early on shamrock but he got out of it uh mankind tries again from behind and kind of like a full nelson chicken wing kind of position again no shamrock Uh, escapes the ring mankind follow him through him into the steel steps shamrock grabs a chair and wails mankind right on the face with it right in front of the ref not a dq this ain't ecw bud come on so shamrock starts working the leg and applies a shoulder lock resulting in you know being bit by by mankind okay so the true the two trade signature moves with a belly to belly and a double arm DDT, respectively. McFoley hits his running knee in the corner and his running elbow to the tree of woe. Ken, a tree of woe position. to Ken, corner punches and it's all McFoley. McFoley destroys his body by doing a flying elbow to the outside and in an even more brutal spot. uh, Shamrock catches mankind and power slams him into the corner of the steel steps. Just. Looked like it destroyed his knee. Which Mankind was selling. And Shamrock locks in the ankle lock. Mankind refusing to tap out. Starts hitting himself. Pulling out his hair. And applies the mandible claw on himself. And passes out. Shamrock wins. He retains. And when Fink announces that he won as a result of the mandible claw. Into the zone. He goes. He snaps. Uh. Kyoto eats a suplex. Mankind puts Mr. Sockle on to Shamrock and gets his heat back. An entertaining match with a creative finish to make Mankind still look strong. And his soothing piano music, his piano exit music plays as he limps to the back. Oh, I love that uh, piano thing. But he was just about to get an even better entrance theme the following month. Now, The Rock versus Mark Henry with D'Lo Brown. The Nation Explode! The saxophone music. Megapowers Explode. So, there had been dissension, smell among the Nation of Domination after The Rock lost its Intercontinental title at SummerSlam, leading to the eventual split. D'Lo still teams with Mark Henry and comes to the ring with him tonight. And D'Lo, I think, was still using the Nation of Domination's music. I'm well, not mistaken, The Rock still had his, uh, you know, The Rock Says version of his nation music as well. Unless he was just about to get the theme that would carry him through the rest of his career. Or, you know, the beat to it. You know, bum, sh- bum, 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 bum. Yeah, he had that theme in his debut just rendition of it They just changed up the tempo and changed up the intro and the words it's still been the same exact theme so despite being slugged with china in the past sexual chocolate mark henry recites a poem dedicated to her before the match so the rock gets a massive pop an incredible ovation just a glimpse Of what is to come. And I apologize for knocking over my microphone just now. Uh, In a short match, you know, The Rock showed some impressive, um, impressive strength by suplexing Mark Henry. You know, The Rock dominates this match, but eventually, excuse me again... Mark Henry hits a running splash, and D'Lo holds holds The Rock's feet from the outside for a cheap win. Nothing special here, but it puts The Rock over as a mega babyface, gives Henry some heat, and his poetry skills are on point. Oh, it's already time for the main event, the WWE Championship, the Vacant Championship, between The Undertaker and Kane, with Stone Cold Steve Austin as the special guest referee. After being screwed out of the title the previous month by Vince and the Brothers of Destruction, Austin goes full rampage, from Zambonis, to cement trucks, to bedpans. Austin makes Vince's life a living hell. Vince vowed that if Austin doesn't call right down the middle and crown a new champion, YOU'RE FIRED! Now the match itself is your basic taker and cane. They've never really had that good of a match. If you've seen one Taker Kane match, you've seen them all. They would have another match the next month at the Deadly Game Survivor Series 1998. I did not realize that The Undertaker had his amazing ministry theme this early. It still gives me the heebie jeebies. And upon rewatching it, still, still. Austin, you know. One finger saluted them right in the face before starting the match. We see a slow, plodding, big man match following. Now these two are capable of putting on better matches. And I think they've had better matches between the both. So eventually, you know, all hell breaks loose. And a fight breaks out between all three of them. And Paul Berg, old Uncle Paul, Uncle Paul, walks to the ring with a chair. He tells Kane to pick it up. To pick up Taker so he can hit, hit, hit him. But swerve, bro! He hits Kane in the back. Then Taker hits Kane right in the head with an unprotected chair shot. I mean, those are tough to watch now, knowing now what we know about CTE. And insert obvious wrestler death here. And so on. So Taker plants his younger brother with a tombstone. And Austin refuses to pin. Who are you, Nick Patrick? Come on, man! An angry dead man goes after the rattlesnake, but he eats a stone cold stunner and a chair shot to the face. Number two, and i I'm sorry, a chair shot to the face of Paul Bear for his underhanded tactics himself, and both men are down. Austin double counts both men's shoulders to the match to the mat. And Austin crowns himself the WWE champion, and then, as promised, Stone Cold, mm. screw you, you're fired. And the crowd is just showering Vince in litter. You know McMahon is, you know, coming out in his uh, jet, little jet-powered uh, uh, wheelchair. And like a boss, Vince McMahon, no-sells, all the litter, hitting him in the face. I guess he uh, must have talked to uh, Hulk Hogan and the NWO just before this. we saying, you know, what do I do if this happens? Austin ends the event drinking beer. Since he's, un- since he's unemployed, he might as well get drunk, blackout, out, and figure out his life in the morning like a normal person. And, of course, the next night, Austin comes to Monday Night Raw in his hunting gear. And, like a natural, uh, normal person, he threatens his boss at gunpoint. Even bringing it to the ring. About to get the halo headshot on the boss, but, well, you know, bang 316. You know, I just pissed my pants. Now, this pay-per-view, it was a fun Fun hop down memory lane. The undercard was solid. The main event scene was stacked, and it was about to get even more stacked with The Rock and Mankind climbing up the ranks. This was an enjoyable show that not only made me reflect on uh you know wrestling, but where my life was at at this point in time as well. I mean, this was just after a teacher's strike. Uh, I'd started high school, as I already mentioned, but we started high school actually almost the beginning of October, right at the end of September. Uh, And, you know, I, I mentioned my brother's friends who had that satellite dish thing. You know, my brother was finishing high school just as I was starting, and I already had the privilege of knowing his friends, and they had siblings my age. So I was already kind of not really popular when you go to a small town high school with only like six seven hundred kids everybody knows everybody and it was an all right time you know this this era made talking about wrestling with my classmates and even some of my teachers enjoyable yeah i got away with crotch chopping my gym teacher and handing out stunners in the hallway to unsuspecting people it was a fun time, so if I had to melter this, I'd give this a seven out of ten easily. So that has been it for this edition of the Fretzelmania podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and listen to me every Sunday on Wrestle Addict Radio on the Game Changer podcast with Nate the and Great at Real and Game. Follow Wrestle Addict Radio at Addict underscore Wrestle. Uh, this podcast isn't sponsored by either of them, but it is, I'll call it a subsidiary of them because I, I, um, they're my colleagues. They are my podcast, uh, friends and family. So what's next for me? Uh, the 20 bell salute, the 20 year look back on unforgiven 1999 will be coming out sometime this month. Uh, I'm, I still got the, the night, the late shift, the night shift at work. I will have it for the time being, for until at least uh, Canadian Thanksgiving, maybe beyond. And yeah, my work schedule—it's a little less hectic now that tourist season's over. But, anyways, stay tuned to uh, me, Mr. Fretz at the legendary JF on Twitter and Instagram. And yes, folks, find this podcast on on Apple, Google, uh, Breaker, Podcoin. Please listen on Podcoin because you'll get a bonus 300 PodCoin currency with Fretz7W6. That's F-R-E-T-Z-7-W-6. And that is it. Ta-ta for now. God bless you, and I love you all. Peace.